What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You guys keep pushing. Keep pushing. Don't give in. Push through the pain. The guy who can push the furthest will win the game. You have to embrace pressure. Pressure is your friend. It's a privilege. You gotta keep grinding, keep grinding, keep grinding. Don't quit. Take down. I don't think you ever really feel pressure if you're putting everything you have into each and every day. Help each other. Talk early. Early, loud, continuous talk. Tied together. Hustle play. Do it with a steal. Diving, keeping the ball to play on the first sideline. Twelve great minutes. Twelve great minutes. That's what we need right now. 12 great minutes. Welcome to another episode of the Knicks Home School Podcast on a day where, oh, I don't know. You know, it's just a, it's a day. It's just a day. Um, Jeremy Cohen, we, I'm going to start with this. We agreed that we wouldn't do our usual Sunday spot and we instead would replace it with this emergency episode. When we talked about this, I guess it was last, last Sunday. When did you think it was going to be? Well, John, if we're being honest, I I thought that Jamal Adams wasn't going to get traded. I also thought that Regis Philbin wasn't going to die today. I just saw I literally just saw it's that t- about 15 seconds very ago. Very sad, obviously, about um Regis Jamal Adams, I, I think for a lot of Jets fans. I'm not one, but um a lot of fans probably don't like him, so good riddance. But yeah, um I got to be honest, I woke up this morning and my first thought, my first lucid thought was, "Oh my god, I can't believe that John and I have to figure out what the hell we're going to figure out to talk about tomorrow. Because (laughs) it was at the point where I just couldn't take having to wait any longer. And I thought we have to talk about something. And I'm sure John will come up with it. But (laughs) I just the idea of of having to do that when now we can actually talk about something that is factually reported. And it's I mean, and just before we go into that further, because I know obviously we will spend the podcast doing this. Um, but you are an exceptionally humble person, so you're not going to say this, but I will. Oh, uh, don't, don't do that. No, no, I'm going to say it. Congratulations. This is like, honestly, this is history. I'm not being, I'm not being facetious and I'm not trying to, you know, make you're, a big You're being like, something. I don't know what the word whatever. is. But the point is you in February said that this was, you were the first person to say that this is possible. And here we are today. And I think that's a really awesome thing to do. So kudos, man. That's fantastic. Um, I don't even want to say thank you because that would somehow give credence to your congratulations, but I will. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know. I There are some days I get up and there's a small part of me that thinks that I know what it means to be a journalist. And then I have my coffee and I wake up and I realize how silly that is. Um, 
because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but people talk to me sometimes and um, these people are very nice and kind and I don't know how to mine sources, but I, I don't, you know, I, what is, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to mine source? Is that is that what you do? Do you mine a source? Is it like a piece of coal? I guess. I honest, I'm not really sure. I've heard that term though. I didn't make, just make that yeah. up. Did I? Okay. No, no. I don't. It sounds similar. It does sound similar. Well, it wouldn't be miming a source, right? Because, like, how would you mime it? <laughs> it's it's a, a verbal action. You know, the source tells you something. They're not. You're doing just, like a. You're the a worst glass person. Wall, like, you're the worst. I know. You're the worst human being. Um, I really am. You're terrible. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, but. To be honest, like I, I got that, and it turned out to be correct. Um, but look, who knows where they were at along this process? Oh no, maybe they went into this process with their eyes wide open, and they just decided that Tibbs was the best. And this is a good talk about great podcasting. This is a good transition. <laughs> but no, because like put. And this is like one of my overarching thoughts. Put every everything else aside, like because there's so many storylines when something like this happens. But if you're just looking at the candidate pool and what they've proven, and then the other things that they've shown that can lead you to believe can not definitely should, but can lead you to believe that they will make good candidate good coaches. And if you Add up the 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 actual like resume of the other ten guys or ten people because like well no because Becky didn't get an interview but if you add that all up and put it in one column and you put all of Tibbs like actual discernible on court accomplishments as a head coach in the other column I think Tibbs column wins out over the other ten combined. Um, and again, we're not talking about projecting like, oh, what if Kenny had a great roster and what if, you know, um, this and that it's like just on court. And so it's like, yeah, Tibbs is probably always going to get the job. But if they went into this and they're like, hey, we want to pick the best candidate based on what we know for a fact they can do because they have done it already. Wasn't it always going to be Tibbs? It's kind of how I felt, you know, it was a, and you could say, well, this hiring process was a sham. Hey, you know. Maybe it was, but at the same time, maybe talking with all these other candidates only reaffirmed what Leon Rose in the front office felt about Tibbs from the beginning, which is that he was the best man for the job. And I do believe that he is the best man for the job. It's the sort of thing where what is Tibbs accomplishing here, right? And when you read all of these articles about him, and they certainly have glowing reviews, but it's it's also who says that, right? So when I read – I think it was even the Berman article – where it talks about how Tibbs is coaching the Team USA team and all of the incredible coaches that he surrounded himself and how all of these guys had glowing things to say. And it's to me, it goes back to a culture thing. And I know that we've used culture so many times, right? I mean, Fizdale, it feels like culture. And, and so many other the times axe. we've stressed it. Bring right. the axe. Exactly. <laughs> and oh God, that was absurd. And so <laughs> he brought a fucking axe to practice. <laughs> So the uh, thing about with Tib- with Tibbs though, for me, why it's so different is because this is a man who has actually seen success in multiple different places. Pretty much every place he's gone has has been successful, except for Minnesota, which again there was still a level of success. But I maintain that the biggest issue was that he was too involved by being president of basketball operations. I think it's wearing two hats is a really hard job to do, 
And even Pop had to stop doing it because of the fact that it was just too hard. You're too close. You form these bonds with these players and you have to separate yourself because you're not trading the guys you're coaching. You're also trading the guys that are assets to you. And it's just a very tough job to do. And you can also talk about the fact that there are concerns about the motors for Carl Anthony Towns and for Andrew Wiggins. And they're, they're talented players who, if they were more interested in the game and more interested in winning, it feels like there would be a greater uh, – their basketball games would be heightened. And if Tibbs can't really get that out of a player, then I don't know who can. And it was uh, Popper who I think shared – it might have been his article where he talked about – he talked with JVG uh, and basically said – you know, like JVG said, essentially, it's a loser's mentality to kind of talk about it and whine about it. And and that's not going to happen <laughs> under Tibbs. It's, it's going to be a very, you know, hard helmet, lunch pail, get to work in and out. And I think that's a great philosophy. And you see how many coaches around the league are already, already praising it. And there hasn't even been pen to paper. And no disrespect to any of the other coaches out there. But in my opinion, there's not a single coach who was being interviewed who there would have been anywhere near this level of respect. And that's really what it is. You're, tr- you're trying to transform a brand here, a brand that has stunk on ice, well, on hardwood, but that has stunk for so long that it needs any sense of rejuvenation. And if you can also get that with a guy who has had a history I mean, he had the youngest MVP of all time on his team that he helped develop. He turned Joakim Noah into a, a defensive player of the year and an MVP candidate in one of those seasons. I mean, and, and these guys, those players were not old. They were like 22, 23, 25 maybe. Well, so- hold on just real quick on that. Uh, and I'm thinking I referenced this on another pod. I'll reference it again briefly. JB had a tweet, I think it was last week, about – Players who were going to be all-stars make that all-star team basically by their age 20, I think he said age 23 season. Mm-hmm. Dang wasn't an all-star when, you know, Tibbs got there and he was already with, over that age. Same thing with Noah. Um, he, he grew him into that. Um, so it's not like, like there is an effect that he has on players, just to, just to your point. Exactly. And I'm very curious to see what he does because the thing is that I think with this hiring, a lot of fans who might be against it, their instant reaction is not about what's just happened, but what's about to follow. And the truth is that we don't know jack shit about what's about to happen. Because, like, you know, we talk about what we project, like, right? How I say, I feel like this is, I think they're definitely going to be financially flexible. And I think that this is what they're going to go after. But I don't have proof behind that. It's it's merely me saying my hunch and using you know, whatever evidence I have and using a spreadsheet on Google Sheets and being able to customize things accordingly. But the truth is, we don't know what's next. It's easy to believe that there would be an accelerated rebuild. But what does that mean, right? It doesn't mean gutting the entire roster and trading it for the next disgruntled star so you can start winning right away. Maybe it just means trimming the fat until you have your best players in-house and then you have the assets to either make a move in via trade or you try to get some stars in free agency, but it, it doesn't mean we're just punting on everything that's been built so far. I just don't see it as such. I'll, I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means very simply, it, it, look, I have no idea what Tom Thibodeau learned from his time 
in Minnesota. But if he's watching the same tape that I have over the last few weeks, and my God, I'm sure he has many times, um, he saw. And the thing, let me just, can I just say real quick, there's this hang up on Tibbs, like running ice, which is for anybody who doesn't know, I just want to say it explicitly. Ice is when, if there's a side pick and roll, this is the only time ice comes into play, right? He played the same type of defense that pretty much the rest of the league played for all of his years. The one difference is that he iced more than other teams, which is when you have a side pick and roll, you push the pick and roll more towards the sideline as opposed to normal drop pick and roll coverage. You leave the middle open and most coaches would tell you leaving the middle open is a bad idea. So it's not like he, he was going against the grain. The the thing was when he ran it in Minnesota, the times that he did run it, you saw the, the faults in the players that he had where if you're not on your P's and Q's, and if you're not on your assignment and you're not doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and you're not trusting in the system um, and like exerting the, the the requisite effort, like you're going to look bad. And I above everything else that I'm like thinking of when I'm considering this hire and like can Thibodeau adjust and like what is he now versus what was he then? I just can't escape the fact that those players in Minnesota were just not at all suited for what he was trying to do and how we can use that to judge him after, you know, the result. Cause you know, the other part of it that I think of is, and you, you kind of said it right at the top, which is like, there's a lot of shit that needs to be shoveled out of MSG before we could get to the, what you call it? The ice. I don't, I, I'm mixing up analogies here, but like it's been a bad 20 years and we go back and forth and, and different fans have different opinions on whether it's like it's systemic is like the rot in the walls. Is it just a bunch of bad luck? I think it's going to take a larger than life force to um, I'm going to make up my own word, correctify the issues that have plagued this organization. And to, to, to get back to where I started with this little rant what, what are we going to see next year? We're going to see, I hope, players that Tibbs does not have to wonder when he sticks them in the game, whether or not they're going to give a full effort and whether they're going to buy into the system in a way that, yeah, they might they would look bad if their teammate doesn't do what their teammate is supposed to do, but they trust in each other and they want to get better and they want to win. Like So basically, nobody liked Towns, nobody liked Wiggins, um, Teague meant well he tried he just wasn't very good um, and that's the other part of it which is like this isn't all an effort thing sometimes just like like Jamal Crawford Jamal Crawford tried he tried he was just god awful by the time he was on defense in Tibbs' system so like where does that leave us and that's I guess the next part of the this conversation for me and I'm curious what you think in, in specifically in one area or two areas let's say one they have a draft pick at the top of this draft, whether it's going to be the first pick, the third pick, the seventh pick, whatever, it's going to be at the top of this draft. That player theoretically should get a lot of run next year. How much does this hire influence who they take with that pick and even maybe what position they they target with that pick? And then the other guy is, 
Is this essentially a death knell? Is this is this the nail in the coffin for Kevin Knox? Those are the two things I'm wondering. What do you think? All right. Well, for number one, I think it does have an impact on the player that you're looking for. You know, I mean, there's certainly an archetype that I'm sure the Knicks would want if it's not spacing of any sort or defense. It's going to be some sort of lead ball handler. I, I mean, I would imagine that the lead ball handler is something that's even more important than those other attributes. But I think it does matter because you you probably, you know, any team would want someone who's maybe more high IQ, high motor, those types of attributes. And maybe certain ones are prioritized over others. Maybe there's a player who's better, especially right now, but there's another player who's smarter and he's not as good. But if you have the right coaching, then perhaps that player can be unlocked and do a better job. I mean, Jimmy Butler, for example, was drafted, what, 29th overall, 30th overall in his draft? Yeah. Right. So it's a sort of thing where I'd be very curious as to where the Knicks are like what they do with those picks and the, the types of players they get, because clearly he's shown Tibbs has shown that he can, he can take a number one pick and turn him into an MVP and he can take, you know, someone who's at the end of the first round and turn him into an all-star player and um, leading his team to victory several times over. So, you know, I mean, d- does it look like the Knicks go with LaMelo ball over someone like Obi Toppin? I kind of thought that that would be the idea beforehand, but I think that's the other part about Walt Perrin being in the fold, where you have someone who you look at Utah, and that is an incredibly driven team. They, to me, I don't think that the Jazz have a whole lot of top end talent. I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. But to me, they're always this really tough, tenacious, defensive minded team that has some great shooting, especially with Bogdanovich. And that, to me, if you're able to build something similar to that, and you're and you're but you're able to have more star power, especially in a weaker conference. That's not a bad archetype to have. The, but the Jazz know what they are and they know what they target when they draft. Right. Like they have right. an, they have an archetype of a person that they draft for, if not an archetype of a player and certain attributes. So that's now that we like if there's nothing else that we're sure of about Tibbs, it's that we know certain types of players succeed under Tibbs and certain players do not succeed under Tibbs. So and and can you have can you have one or two players from category B that as long as they're not complete malcontents, you could make it work with all of the guys who are tips players? Yes, I do think so. But I think the scales tipped a little bit too much in Minnesota, um, you know, and that's that's the thing is like how and that's why I asked you about Knox, because. If, like, how if they're going to try to win games next year, are, like based on what we've seen, can they play Knox heavy minutes? And if they're not going to play Knox heavy minutes, then why? Like, should that aren't doesn't that signal the end for him now? I don't, I don't know. Um, I think it's good news for Frank. Yeah, it definitely is. I'd say the thing for Knox, you know, because we there have been questions about his motor, but we know how hard he's been working, well, especially with he- Miller. But, you know, it's like – and that's great, right? It's great if you're a hard worker. That's certainly an attribute that you would want in a player for Tom Thibodeau. But the reality is that if Knox isn't playing productively, if he isn't giving you positive minutes, then, yeah, what does his role look like? And, you know, I mean we talk about the idea, right, that perhaps Melo does come into the fold. What does that mean? You have Julius Randle. He should be playing more minutes at the five, but then you have Mitchell Robinson. So is he your backup five? What – do you bring back Taj Gibson? Before you know it – 
you're looking at a front court that's quickly very crowded, perhaps. And if that's the case, then you can look at Knox. I mean, I'll be honest. I would rather not see Knox move, but I am not against it based on the fact that if they don't feel he's a long-term piece here, then and, and he's not going to get many minutes next year, or at least not many good minutes, then yes, you're selling low, absolutely, but you're not selling lower than you could be. And again, like I said, I would rather not have Knox traded right now, but he's not part of this front office. The only connecting, uh, the only real connection is Scott Perry, and I don't think Leon Rose is really going to care much about that. Um, I don't think, I don't think they're going to like to them. I think whether Knox was the first pick in the draft or the thirtieth pick in the draft, I don't think they're going to give a shit um, in terms of what they do with him. I don't think that's going to be part of their evaluation. Other than to say, other than like the inherent like pedigree that comes with being a high draft pick and the talent that got him drafted in the first place. I'm just looking up right now, by the way, um, what Knox, when Knox played with uh, Frank Nilakina and Mitchell Robinson, um, those three in 227 minutes together had a 102.3 defensive rating. So it's the, the reason I looked at, which is obviously very good. The reason I looked that up is because watch watching Knox even this last season it reminded me a lot of when I watched Tape of the Wolves um at, when I watched Wiggins as like a lot of plays like he knew where he had to be and it's not as if his effort was lagging but his awareness just wasn't there which I think when people watch Knox they mistake like they're like, oh, he's sleepwalking through games. It's like, no, it's just he may not like pick up things. It's like that half a second difference, right? Between, you know, getting a good contest when you jump, when you're like, let's say you're tagging in the paint and you have to jump out to a three point um, shot. It's like that half second that makes a difference between a good contest and a, and a bad contest. And I think it really is going to be a matter of blending the lineups under Tibbs to, to hopefully get a guy like Knox minutes, but put him in a situation where, you know, maybe he's your weakest link and then being like, okay, we could survive with him as your weakest, as our weakest link, which again, based on the numbers last year, I think is, is a fair assessment, but how many of those weak links can you have? If Knox is one, if a rookie point guard is another, is Julius Randle still here? That's another guy. Like what is Tibbs going to do with Julius Randle? Like I, I, Bring him off the bench? I I don't know. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know what I even want the answer to be, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Randall is I still, I fervently believe that it's not hard to trade him. The tough part is figuring out what the Knicks can get back and if they want that. Because, again, this is essentially an expiring salary if you want to treat it as such. But there aren't that many across the league. And I think that Randall, similar to a player like Tim Hardaway Jr., was just being asked to do far too much. And when he's in the right situation, it'll probably come back. Like, I can't believe the Knicks didn't use him this way. And it's like, yeah. But we saw what that way is in New Orleans. We know exactly exactly. what the way is. Right. And it's fine. I mean, of course, he's a lot more expensive than he should be. But I think the thing with Knox, too, is – and Mike Miller talked about this – where they really tried to get him to hone in on awareness and especially deflections. And I thought that was great. But I agree with you if he's not at a point where if he's going to be somewhat close to a liability or even borderline, you know, average, maybe a little bit below average, then his offense really has to show out. He's got to do something well, yeah, well enough to, 
Of course, but he he can't be a liability. And if the team feels he will be, then that's that's problematic. Especially even if it's a team that is developing and and trying to do something, you you have to see him take strides. And if he's not going to do that, (laughs) that was great. That was a great noise. I almost I think that should be the promo for the pod. Should just be uh, that noise. Um. By the way, that trio, their offensive rating was 106.8, which, um, let's see, there were, I don't know, looks like about 40-something three-man lineups that played over 200 minutes. Um, that is the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 highest. Not bad for uh, okay. Frank, Frank, Mitch, and Knox. Those three. So, like, right there, that's another question I have, right, is, you know, there's so many questions. We know Kenny Atkinson, and this is a pro. This is a pro for the Kenny people. Um, we know he leaned into analytics and advanced stats in New, in I was about to say New Jersey in Brooklyn. Like we don't know that Tibbs has done that. Um, be, and and as an organization, this hire says to me this this hire doesn't say to me that we're leaning into analytics because it's not like the Knicks had an analytics department of one. For up until now, as far as I know. Um, so that's a little bit of a concern. Um, what do you make of, or should we make anything of Miller and Woodson probably being here with Tibbs? Because it's like, that's the type of thing that sounds real nice on paper. And then I was actually reading, I was like writing something before for SI about Mike Woodson. And I'm like, this is the same guy who basically saw what Mello at the four could do and then was like, hey, eh, you don't really need it. <laughs> like, if he, if he's like the angel on Tim's shoulder that's supposed to be guiding what, the offense, I guess? I Like, what does that say? That, so it's like, that's a concern. Um, how, how worried are, are you about that, if at all? That's a great question. Yeah, you know, I think that at a certain point, the bench could get a little too crowded. And this isn't a slight against Woodson by any stretch. It's just that I don't know if what we saw years ago, seven, eight years ago, is going to be that different from what we're seeing now. And I don't think of Woodson as this incredibly brilliant offensive-minded coach. I think he's more of this – he just relates to players very well. We know how beloved he is by so many fans, but especially by the best team that we've seen in 20 years. I mean, there was a reason why everything clicked and it it also helped that they had the right idea of spacing. And yeah, of course, if they didn't play quite as big, then maybe, you know, who knows, but East is big, man. Yeah, it sure is. So (laughs) that's the thing where I'm thinking where like with Mike Miller, we know that he did a great job with this team, all things considered, you know I mean? A 31 win pace for a guy like him that's a great accomplishment in my opinion because look at what he had to deal with that entire mess and the fact that it also just – I mean Fizdale made him look a lot better to be honest but just what he was able to accomplish in such a short period of time. And yeah, you can have both but is Tibbs going to be receptive to that? Is he going to feel like, okay, well that's like basically half of my bench is now with guys that you have inserted. I would like my own people. 
And it's very possible that he could say, no, I, I just I want to deal with my own guys, but I'll take one of them. If if you want Mike Miller here in some capacity, I, you know, I'm sure that their paths have crossed in the past, I, especially with JVG. And I, I just – it makes sense to me why you would maybe have one of them on board. If you have both, then that's fine. I just – I don't know how much that does for the team itself versus – for the more superficial nature of it, you know, like it's, it's great to have that reputation of we got Tibbs as the head coach, we've got Woodson, we've got Miller, but I mean, you can also find other guys in an assistant role to be similar. Like if you made Jamal Mosley, you're the highest paid assistant in the NBA, for example, yeah. then maybe that's a different story than bringing in a guy like Woodson. Well, my, my suspicion, and this is, I think they went with the Thibodeau hire for the reasons I spoke of before, which is that, and I spoke about this with you, I've spoken about this with Budum when I did the pod with him earlier this week. I really do think it's going to take a larger than life force, a, a guy with gravitas, a guy that when the players listen to, they know, oh, wait, shit, if we follow this guy, this could actually lead somewhere good. Um, and if we don't follow this guy, we're going to be on our ass on the bench. Um I think the Woodson and the Miller, again, they're not hired officially, but I I think we'd all be shocked if this wasn't the case, um, kind of go towards that, which is like, you know, not to not to overuse this term yet again, but like the more adults in the room, the better, um, you know, and which is why talk about a guy who I would bet, you know, a week's salary that he's going to be back. Taj Gibson, I don't know if they're going to you know, bring him back on his existing salary. Probably not, but you know, I hope not. I, 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 I no hope disrespect not. to Todd. No, it's, just, it's not. It'd listen, be foolish. if you gave Todd some true serum, he, I, I would guess he would tell you he's probably not worth $10 million at this point in his career. Um, especially if, if Tibbs does what we all hope he does and plays Randall, at a backup five. Um, but I digress. Um, but Taj should be back. And in addition to Taj, like that's going to be the needle to thread because can we, can we agree that we have three types of players now that the Knicks are going to need to get time to, they're going to need to get time to on the floor, like do the right thing. Every time veterans like a Taj Gibson, um, you know, Wayne Ellington would fall into this category. I'm trying to think of someone else recently who they've had, who falls into this category. Um, I, I really want to say Lance Thomas, but I'm not going to because a lot of people get mad at me. But you get the archetype, right? Like the Taj Gibson archetype, not a great player at this point, but he's good enough and he always does the right things. Player type number two is the Julius Randle archetype. And if they swing a trade for a guy like Zach Levine or some other similarly situated, talented but flawed player, like a guy that... You know, he knows what he has to do. He's not a malcontent. He's not a bad guy on the team. You've sung Julius Randle's praises on this podcast before, and it's not absurd. Um, but guys who who you need to help them be in a winning situation. You can't just, as we saw with Randle this year, depend on them to figure it out. And then player type number three is your kids, right? And like, I don't know who to even put in that category now. Like, is Frank a kid? Or does Frank go in category number one? Does Frank now become a Taj type player? No, no. So I, I look at the Taj type player as a grizzled vet. I look at a Randall type as maybe more up and comer in the sense that has not quite yet reached their prime, whether or not they're 
a great player or not. Uh, they're just they're still not quite there yet. And I see any player who's still on a rookie contract as being more of a neophyte. Can I push with. back on that for a second? Sure. Uh, because um, I just looked it up because I, I had it. 200 or more minutes, and I kind of gave away the answer already, but the Knicks, again, had a quick glance, almost 50 lineups that saw three-man lineups, three-man combinations, excuse me, that saw 200 or more minutes. Who do you think was the one player that was in common for the most out of the top five? He was in four of the top five of those by net rating. By net rating? Yeah. So their top three-man combinations, the top five, had net ratings of 9.3, 8.6, 7.0, 6.3, and 4.6. There was only one player who was in four out of those five. I mean, I want to say Frank. It is Frank. Okay, yeah. So, like, just because he's whatever the hell he is, 22 years old, I feel like he should almost be utilized next year as like, okay – we could throw this guy in. We can't expect too much from him, but we can. He can be the glue that holds together. But even that's not simple because him and Randall last year mixed like oil and water. So, you know, this is God. There's going to need to be a reconstruction of this roster. Well, just in terms of the starting, just in terms of the five position, I guess if if we're to assume that Mitch is starting, Randall's on the roster, and so is Taj Gibson. You're now looking at a situation very similar to last year's where you have to rely on shooting from essentially your one through four. And I mean, I know you could play Taj at the four as well, but the point being, it's very hard if you wanted to do some sort of like a five out offense. And I know that's really not Tibbs's forte, can we, but can we get to a, three out? Well, let's, that'd be great let's too. start with three. Yeah. And then we we'll work that. our way up to four. I think it's debatable to say that. That even a two out at the beginning of last year. <laughs> two out. We well, when you have when we you didn't have, have one out and, at and, and Taj starting, then you've got Marcus Morris and R.J. Barrett on a good day. I mean, that's that's kind of a one and a half out sort of. So yeah, Their you know, starting lineup to end the year was a zero out. Come yes, on, yes, and then it kind of regressed. So yeah, I just I'm I'm baffled at what they're going to do because there's there needs to be more spacing in the front court. Well, let's and, figure it out. We have a goddamn podcast. Let's figure it out right now. Who are the two guys we know we're going to start? Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, right? Okay. That leaves us with three openings. Is is Julius what – is, what universe does Julius Randle make sense as a starter? Who needs to be at those other two positions? I'm talking about players on the roster. I'm talking about players that they could draft. I'm talking about players that they could sign realistically. Does anything make sense? Not to me, you know, I just, and it seemed like the net rating was better with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle as the season went on. They actually figured it out. Yeah, I'll I'll look it up right now, but keep going. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's trending upwards and you hope that that can stay the same if the two are starting next to each other, but it just puts so much pressure on on the one, two, three positions because if RJ is going to be even just an average shooter, that's great, but... You still need plus shooting or, or some side of some type of shot creation or any type of spacing you can get with the one and the three positions. And you have so much money at your disposal that it'd be great to use it on anyone that, you know, like I'm very partial to a Gallinari type. I think Bertans would also fit, but unless the Knicks are committed to go multiple years and you could probably or possibly at least say the same thing about Gallinari, who knows? But if unless the Knicks want to do some sort of overpay, you know, I mean, 
who's to say that the Knicks, looking at the options they have, I really don't see them going after a Fred Van Vliet type. But what happens if they say, you know, we really do, we would love to make the playoffs. We want to show that we can contend, at least take that stride, and it's really great for what we're doing. What if we go to Fred Van Vliet and say, hey, we know you're probably going to sign a multiple-year offer with the Raptors, but what if we gave you a one-year deal that's even bigger than your wildest dreams could be? And again, I'm I'm talking like $25 million, which for a one-year contract is crazy. But it's the idea of if the front office market is that starved and you're looking for that that um, right that instant production that you know is at least going to be somewhat positive, then is that something you gravitate towards because – it's it's a one-year deal. It's the sort of thing where you can just kind of wipe your hands clean if it's a disaster. You're probably not going to resign him to anywhere near that if you do resign him. That's the sort of thinking that I'm trying to piece through in terms of having Randall. Because, again, I think if you found a guard, maybe this isn't exactly Fred Van Vliet either, but if you found a guard who could work well in the pick and roll, then you're unlocking something in Randall that, that would be great, but then it's more pressure on Mitch to develop some sort of outside shooting because – He'll be around the paint, and it's just a clusterfuck. They can't count on that. It's not reasonable. By the way, oh my god, this might... I, I'm sure I looked this statistic up before, but this has to be one of my favorite stats of, of the year. Um, I'll give you the non-crazy one first. Randall and Robinson played 507 minutes together under Mike Miller. What do you think their net rating was? It was good. Not great, but good. I'm going to say 2.5. You're, you're, un, you're way under. 5.7. Uh, 109.4 offensive, 103.7 defensive. And again, that's not a small sample size. It's 507 minutes. Um, So, and what was Miller's record overall as coach? It was 17 and 27, right? Yeah, whatever a 31 win pace was. Yeah, so, yeah, no, yeah, because he coached for, yeah, it was was 17 and 27. Um, All three of, or sorry, he was 17 and 24 when he had both Randall and Robinson. So that's interesting. All three... uh, like he didn't win a game when he didn't have uh, both of them. Um, that's not bad. 17 and 24 with those three, with the rest of those pieces. Now, what do you think those two in just under 200 minutes were um, under David Fisdale? I'm going to say negative 15. Oh, you're so close. That would be negative 16.4 with a glistening 95.4 offensive rating. How you doing, Fizz? Really, kudos, buddy. And a 111.8 defensive rating. Uh, 22 million just doesn't get you what it used to. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so I think that's evidence that Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson can work together. Let's assume whether it's Van Fleet or Drogic or, God forbid, Jeff Teague, free agent Jeff Teague, by the way, um, or, you know, <laughs> rookie point guard X who can credibly call himself a threat from the outside. Um, just pick one of the. Let's assume they have some shooting at the one that is more than Alfred Payton, Okay. Like a guy that, that 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 offenses need to respect the shot or defenses need to respect the shot. Let's also assume, and I don't think this is unfair of me. Let's also assume that that R.J. Barrett starts off next year as a guy who defenses are not going to let just fire away from the outside. Uh, can we can we comfortably assume those two things? Sure. Okay. If we comfortably assume those two things, I think Tibbs is going to be comfortable rolling out Randall as his starting four. If he can get a true 
three and D wing. And I'm thinking that the most likely ca- I'm here. Here's what I'm thinking. Reggie Bullock, Frank Nilakina, Mo Harkless. Isaac Okoro has to be mentioned as a possible first round draft pick. Um, I don't see the free agent that they're going to sign for that role unless they could get Joe Harris to just sign for the JJ Reddick contract from Philly for uh, two years ago. Man, talk about a guy that I'd, I'd pay twenty million dollars to come play for the Knicks this year. How how does how does Joe Harris work a lot with that with the rest of those four guys? Very well. That's yeah, not bad. I would I would love to see it. I still think the Nets are gonna back up the Brinks truck because if they don't then they're they're just very much out of luck in terms of what they can do in finding talent and they can go over the cap to re-sign him so I see them giving him a multi-year deal and I feel like if he were to look at a multi-year deal and the Nets aren't an option a team like the Hawks would make a ton of sense because they desperately could use a veteran 3 and D type player around Trey Young I think it'd be a great compliment him perfectly but also It'd be the type of guy or the type of move where you can show like we're trying to win here. The thing about Mo Harkless is I feel like his shot is just not respected enough. Like this is a guy who basically wouldn't shoot a three for at least one game a few years ago, so he could collect his five hundred thousand dollar bonus of shooting above thirty five percent. And hey, kudos <laughs> to him. I don't. I, I respect that. I That's really terrible. Do. I just think that if we're thinking about what he's able to do. From a shooting perspective, it's it's fine, right? You know, I mean, yes, it's the type of guy where maybe you have him back. But I guess that's the question because I'm trying to find options that, that Tibbs would like and that make sense for the team. I look at someone like a DJ Augustine type who is currently guiding his team to the playoffs. I mean, it's not him in particular, obviously. Is he a free agent? Upgrade. He's, a free, he's a free agent. Oh, so that's – Like that type of player who could for what, maybe a $10 million deal? If he's either a very high caliber backup or if for some reason you don't draft a lead guard or if you do but you don't want him to start, he could fit in there. And it's a very different situation than your Alfred Payton or your Jarrett Jack because you're actually getting a player who is better than both of those guys and who can play make better and he can space the floor in a far superior way. And listen, I know a lot of Nick fans just cringed uh, when you said DJ Augustine, $10 million. But listen, Folks, um, like, <laughs> there's a 10-man rotation, okay? Tibbs goes with the 10-man rotation. He, he's Historically, that's what he does. He likes having a starting five. He likes having a second five. Um, we've established they're not going to play more, like, they're going to play maybe three kids on this team, four, three or four. They're not going to play more than four. So, do, like... Do the math. You're going to get one. And they're, and they're not going to swing a trade for a, a big time guy. Like maybe they swing one trade for a Levine type or someone of that ilk. And I, I don't know who else really qualifies, but like they're going to be signing some players of the DJ Augustine variety, you know, and it makes sense. Yeah. And just about DJ, as I'm looking at his stats in general, um, he shot the most threes in his entire career, his season with Chicago under Tibbs. He shot five. Oh my god! I forgot eight. he was even under Tibbs. Yes, he was, and he connected on forty-one percent of his threes. He had one of his best seasons. I mean, and Tibbs was he was I there for Tibbs sixty-one to, games, and he yeah. played. And he played thirty minutes a night. Yeah, 
15 points a game, five assists a game, and like you said, 41% from deep. Yeah, and look, he's 32 years old now. I mean, again, that's that's a little bit older than maybe I think fans would have liked or would like, but it's the sort of thing where that's the type of player that I think the Knicks need to look for, someone who can still uh, facilitate and put players in a better position. He's not great, but, and, you know, like... God, I, how, did, how did we get here? How did we get well, to talking about DJ fucking Augustine? My God, <laughs> we've gone off the rails. Continue, please. I'm sorry. Anyways, I just... You know, I, and, and, I needed to note that for posterity's sake. Absolutely. And uh, honestly, because as someone who doesn't watch the Magic, I know, for example, someone like Chip Murphy, I'd love to hear more about a player like DJ and how this might come about. But regardless, it's the point where... I really do feel that if you get that that wing who can space the floor, if you get a guard who can uh, play make with while knowing his role may not be be the starter because again it's it's all about finding your roles. And if Tibbs has a player like Augustin in that role, saying like you are a high level backup and that's what you're going to do, and him saying okay, that's the role I've got, that's the role I want to take, that's great. If you maybe put someone like Frank next to him, then you've got some secondary ball handling. You've got you know, a more improved defense on the side. If you put Reggie Bullock next to him, then that's great too. I mean, the, there are combinations that can work here, but I do think that it's going to be more than four young guys. You know, I mean, this is nitpicking, but I think it's going to be probably maybe closer to five where it's what Mitch, RJ, Frank, this year's pick. And if it's not Knox, then maybe it's if they haven't traded up for a player. I, I want it. I want it noted for my for my good friend Bernardo Zorowski that uh, Iggy Brozdeka should be in that that consideration. All right, we can put Iggy in there. That's that's a okay by me. So it's it's a sort of thing where again, I don't think this entire team is just going to suddenly turn into a retirement home. I think no, that there's that's I'm, I, I don't right. want you. Don't think that's what I, I was saying, right? That wasn't a shot at you. It's no, just okay. speaking. So it's that sort of thing where this year. Could, in, could very much be a transition year. And it doesn't mean that you then the year after transition to a team that is far older and maybe you've only kept three of those guys. I think it's it's a very different situation. But it's working with the pieces you've got, adding some pieces that that make those younger guys even better and make the team as a whole better and then going from there. And, you know, we, we talked about this, I want to say, last pod or the pod before then. And Again, just with Tibbs, I don't think it's overly concerning in terms of having his presence and expecting there to be some sort of veterans because an accelerated rebuild to me just means trimming fat. And hopefully it doesn't get more than that. You know, we could all be saying, well, this is not what we wanted. And and it turns out that the entire team is flipped upside down. But that's not what our goals are. And I'd say that a lot of fans don't seem to want that either. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a precursor for Everything changing. Everything that we know of. Um, I'll lean on, and I apologize, I forget, because uh, I was recording the um, calls earlier today. Well, I, the, I was funny, when the news broke, I was actually like literally about to start one of the calls for the, the fundraiser pod. Um, um, in any case, I, I did a bunch earlier today, and somebody said this, and I apologize for not remembering who it was, but it's just about getting back to competence, right? And it's about being able to turn on a Knicks game any night next year and feel like, and we've, again, I, I don't mean to repeat ourselves, but like you kind of have to because it's so clear what this team needs to do. And it's to just be able to put one foot in front of the other and make onlookers 
feel like, hey, they have a plan. They know what they're doing. Their young kids look like they could play in a system and prosper in it. Um, and as an organization, they have a philosophy about how they want to play, about what types of players they value, about how they want to put those players in positions to succeed. And most importantly, that those players echo the fact that, yes, they are buying in and they want to be here and they feel like this is a place that they could be successful and win basketball games. And whether that results in 35 wins next year or 38 wins next year or, God forbid, over 40 wins next year, I don't think the exact number matters. But I just, you know, it just it can't be another year like we've had this year and so many years over the last 20 where you turn on a game and you're like, I don't know what this team's MO is and I don't know what they're doing, but I know it's not good. And I know they're not heading any place that I want to be a part of. So that's that is what Tibbs has to do. And I think he will for the life of me, I think he will be able to do it. Um I'm trying to think if there's anything else we really need to touch on. I'm sure there's some stuff that we missed that we'll we'll get to on a later pod. Did do you make anything of the fact that he got the five years? Yeah, I think it's interesting because it tells us that Leon Rose's contract is probably five years because that information hasn't been public to my oh, knowledge. Look and at so tricky, tricky, tricky. Well, you said yourself that it was believed that the Knicks countered with three and Tibbs is looking for five. Is that correct? I was, I was told to initial, the Knicks initial offer was three. Okay. I, I listen, that might be right. That might be wrong. I, well, so re- even regardless, um, one thing that the Knicks have done is they've often had, contracts at least what dolan's done is they've had five-year deals but the first three are guaranteed and then four and five are usually mutual options that being for they did it for phil they did it for steve mills and they did it for scott perry so it wouldn't shock me if that's what leon rose has but the reason why there was probably they wanted to counter with three if i just guessing here is because the belief is well hypothetically speaking leon rose could be out because that's when his contract would be up and then there wouldn't be overlap because a lot of times these coaches, their contracts are aligned with the front office. So the five was probably just saying, OK, well, Dolan doesn't, you know, if I have to pay him for a couple extra years than I would have if it all doesn't work out, then I guess I will. But ideally it wouldn't. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's that. But it was also just I'm so impressed by the fact that Leon Rose had an offer put out on Thursday and on Friday it was reported that there was no offer being put out period and that there would still be conversations next week. And so it's, it's amazing that it even got to this point where Leon Rose, basically the beat had no real idea what was going on a lot of times, or at least public. Can I do a little inside baseball here? Would love it. Yes. I, so, all right. I, I spoke about this a little bit, on a previous pod, we, what have we been talking for almost an hour? Yeah, I, whatever. This is fine. Um, I, I don't, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with me talking about this. Um, so the way, the way it works is like, so something will get reported, right? So there'll be a rumor. Somebody will have a rumor. Whether I don't know, Berman, Begley, Bondi, Popper, and then if you're a Knicks B person or someone <laughs> who pretends to be one like me, you then get in touch with Nick's 
the, the there is a person that you contact with the Knicks and they you will say, hey, can you like what there is this report out there? Can you confirm or deny this report? And they will either confirm or deny that report. So I'm not um, sure who first had the report on Friday that they were still like they hadn't offered anybody a contract and they were still engaged in like discussions. Do you remember who it was? I can't. I can't either. Look, it was one of the big guys. And I listen, I give these it was it was one of them. And then like whenever you see that. And then you see two, three, four other beat writers come out with a tweet or a story that says, can confirm, you know, blah, 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 blah. Knicks did this thing. Like, that just means they contacted the Knicks and the Knicks was like, yes, we can confirm this. So, outwardly, the Knicks wanted to paint the picture that they had not entered into contract discussions yet on Friday. Whereas Berman said today that they offered him the contract, the initial contract, on Thursday. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything else on that, but <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave that right there. Interesting. Well, thank you for peeling back the curtain. Not, I mean, I don't know. Maybe new, nobody finds that interesting, but I, no, I, 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 do. I was always curious about how this shit worked. And, you know, um, God knows they're never going to let me cover another game again. So it was it was fun while it lasted, folks. Uh, all I, did I ever tell you the the thing that was most shocking to me about the Knicks locker room? What was that? It's so small. <laughs> like I was so I did this podcast with uh, oh god I forget his last name Corey uh, something or other on uh, he does like the highlights of uh, all the the players um, the draft uh, draft prospects. Um, on YouTube and Twitter and whatever. We talked about the movie Eddie and uh, do you ever see Eddie? Yeah. Okay. So do you remember the locker room in Eddie? Vaguely. It's like it was a while ago. But I, I remember there was one shower scene that one. Well, that was talk about things that wouldn't fly in 2020. Definitely not. It, but, barely, it yeah. barely flew in, in, in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, the locker room was like the size of the first floor of my house. And granted, my house was not that big, but it was, it was a, you know, it's a goodly sized locker room. Um, the next locker room is really small. It's like, it's circular. It's like, it's just lockers on each side. There's not a whole lot going on. There's one TV in there. I was shocked by that. I was thinking it'd be like cavernous. But yeah. No. And you're saying that, and you're not the size of an NBA player. So I can't imagine, especially oh my God, in, yeah. And in COVID times, I mean, the idea of being that close to get, I know that for example, in baseball, they're doing, Every other locker is is where a teammate is able to put their stuff. So now, I mean, that'll be fascinating to see. But okay, I did not know that the locker room was that small. That's that's surprising. But maybe I don't know. Or, I don't know. Maybe other locker rooms are like that in, in the NBA. Maybe um, they're more spacious. Who knows? Well, the, the Knicks visiting locker room certainly isn't because that's even smaller than the whole locker. Room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, man. This is. I'm happy today. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm really happy. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, I, look, I, I'm sure if somebody out there wants to go back and find whatever the fuck I said after they hired Fisdale, um, I don't even know if I have anything on record when they hired Hornacek, but whatever. I'm sure I felt just the same on those days because like, you know, how do you not, unless your team hires Kurt Rambis or something like how, you're going to feel 
Like if they had hired Ime Udoka today or like Jamal Mosley or Kenny or anybody other than Jason Kidd that they interviewed, like we would get on here and be like, all right, giddy up. Here we go. But um, I just, I feel good about this Um, and I'm excited and I know there's a lot of issues with Tibbs and it's by no means is this a guarantee of anything good. And I want to emphasize that by no means is this a guarantee of success. But I mean, you talk about a guy that knows what the hell it takes to win in this league. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. I am too. A lot of it feels like closure. I'm glad that we can finally put this chapter to bed, whether it is the candidate that you wanted who won or lost. We can all agree that the process is over and we can move on to the next thing, which is the NBA draft, which is even more important because coaching is great, but having the talent on your roster is even more important. So NBA draft lottery is coming up before we know it. Yeah, you know, I just there's a certain shine to this hiring and that's important. And I know that a lot of it could seem like it's just talk, but I don't think it is. I, a lot of with Tibbs, it doesn't feel like talk to me. It feels more like action. And I, I'm just hopeful that the front office can put together a team that is more advanced, that's more nuanced, and Tibbs can use a lot of what he learned, especially with analytics and with Sloan and observing other teams, and can be more adaptable. Because, again, I think that he was too much in the weeds with his last job. And it's very hard to compare that with what he's going to be doing now because there's a a greater sense of checks and balances in place. So I'm excited. I'm hopeful that players around the league are looking at this more like, wow, this is is respectful. I can appreciate this. I don't know if any other candidate would have gotten that type of command or would have commanded that type of respect. And maybe there isn't. Maybe – Everything that we're saying about Tibbs is totally wrong and that other stars really do hate him. But people talk. And in a league that's run by stars, when your best players say, I love Tibbs, he he worked me so hard, he made me who I am today, this is incredible, that resonates with other stars. And you get to talking and who knows what can happen. But building internally is more important right now. And I really do think that Tibbs can develop these guys. It just Hope it's in moderation minutes-wise. But again, I think that this this feels like a, a continued right step in the direction, a continued step in the right direction. And that's important to this team because wins are hard to come by. So this is a good one. Yeah, and I just I want before we end, I wanna echo what you just said. Um you know, I don't know how many how many people listening out there have been watching the NBA restart, but in Orlando, but even just in these scrimmages, what has struck me is that there's a lot of good teams in the league (laughs) and even the mediocre teams are just really good. Like the West is just a bloodbath and the top of the East, you know, from, I mean, next year, once the guys are back in Brooklyn, like from, from seven on up is, is, is just going to be really good. Um, Golden State, shit. I mean, got how many games did they win this year? 13 to 12, whatever. It's like they're going to be back. It's just it's a really good league and it's a really hard league to win games in. And I I I don't know I I I lost my point that I was making, but I think it was something along the lines of like 
it takes like the Knicks are the Knicks are far away from that, at least roster wise right now. Um, and it's going to take a gargantuan effort. It is going to take a gargantuan effort to get them just out of the bottom five of the league or whatever. What are they? Six worst record right now. Okay. So maybe that. let's say out of the bottom eight, there's like the delete eight. So let's say out of the bottom eight and like into the top 20 even. Um, so I don't know what, what point I was making with that, but I, I just, I wanted to say as much. Um, and two, I want to put you on the spot with two questions. Um, I've been asking everybody who's been recording these uh, spots for the fundraiser pod um, to give me a predicted win total for next year. So I want you to give me that. Um, and two, who do you think is the most important player in terms of determining whether Tibbs can elevate this team out of that, you know, bottom group of the league? Next year, who do you think will be the most important player in determining his success? So take take those in any order you want. All right. So are we assuming it's this roster? Or am I imagining a roster? No, you're, I, you don't get to do any caveats. You don't get no bullshit. Cool. Just give, you, give me a number. I'll give you 32 wins. Ah, okay. I'm going to write that. Hold on. Jeremy Cohen. 32. Okay. And it's hard for me to say any other player than RJ. Interesting. I just feel like, especially if the ball's in RJ's hands so much, the decision-making, the effort's there for RJ regardless, but just the added effort that you have by a coach who lights a fire under you. And also, I mean, it's pretty awesome for RJ. He he got to play under Coach K, and then he basically had um, two months where he was ruined in a lot of ways by Fizdale, and then he gets to play with Miller, which is cool, and now he's coaching, or he's being coached by Tom Thibodeau. That's you know, that's a pretty good sandwich. It's shit filling, but good in the middle, <laughs> or good in the outside. Well, Tim's Tim's coached with uh, coach under Coach K in the, for Team USA, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, I kind of like that. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that until just now. Yeah, and you know, again, we always gripe about how the young players aren't playing, and now they're going to be playing a lot. And maybe is it too much? Hopefully not. But I, I. You know, that's a great sign. It's great that we're going to be able to at least see the young players get out there. Just hopefully they don't get hurt. But again, you know, it's a whole other discussion because they could get hurt playing 32 minutes or 38 minutes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not under the They're category. Playing. They'll play. That's the un, under the category of things that we will not be spending time on this podcast talking about in, before next season is the prospective minutes distribution or maybe not distribution, but like, you know, how, how, how much Tibbs plays his guys. Um, I'm, I'm not, we'll talk about that if, and when it becomes an issue. Um, I'm actually going to go with Randall. Interesting. Because I think RJ is going to take a step anyway. And I think he would have taken a step regardless. I think what, cause I think Randall's going to be here because I don't think they're going to get the opportunity to unload his contract. Um, and I think, I think they view him in a way that you have said more than anybody. Um, you you've been at the the you've been trumpeting this horn more loudly than than anyone that I know of, which is that it's just it would be full as much as he's frustrating. It would be foolish to just dump Randall. He's a talented player. He was put in a shit situation. Um, 
he's shown the ability to do some nice things on defense before, um, albeit mostly on ball, but still. Um, I think if he can get to Randall, because that's the other thing, is like I don't think Randall ever really... <sighs> I don't want to say he didn't buy in last year, but like, can we agree that it was some, something was always a little off. Like, yeah, you know, you know, I mean, he was also what the highest paid player on the team. That's, he took on a sense of responsibility. And I think that if you have someone like Tibbs come in and basically they start running an offense that very much flows through RJ or maybe whoever the draft pick is this year, or maybe there's more action with Mitch and suddenly Randall is relegated to a third option, um, then, it, you know, maybe it starts to seep into Randall's mind. Like, okay, well, I don't have to be that guy. I can just be the player that I was before that earned me this contract in the first place. I don't have anything to prove in terms of being this great player. I just have to prove myself, if that distinction makes sense. so No, it, it does. <laughs> um, or... <laughs> Or he goes to Julius and says, I'm going to play you 30 minutes a game. For 15 minutes, you're going to be with the starting five and you're going to be in the corner and that's all you're going to do. You're just going to sit in the corner and you're going to, and from now until the day we start the season, you are going to go in the gym every day and you're going to shoot corner threes and that's all you're going to do. You're not going to do any, any, anything else. And for the other 15 minutes of the game, you're going to be my backup five and you're going to play the the Joakim Noah role um, on offense in which we're going to, we're going to give you a lot of responsibility, but unlike last time when you had no spacing to work with, we're going to put you on the floor with four floor spacers and we're going to, we're going to fuck around a little bit and we're going to see what you could do if you're given another chance. You know, if the corner three can start working for Ben Simmons and there's hope for Julius. Hey, Randall. listen, Miracles. They happen every day amongst us. <laughs> crazy. All right, we've we've now been talking for over an hour. Um, this was a lot of fun. I've been I, I was looking I've been looking forward to this for like I don't know how long, but I, it's been a while. Um, I'll ask you: Is there anything you want to plug or promote? I, I don't know. Do you have anything going on? I'll say one thing really quickly. Sure. Uh, last week I talked about voter suppression in Florida. Say what you will about LeBron James. He stepped up. He I thought of you. Sorry, I, I, I had to say, I thought of you when I saw that. Yeah, yeah. he and some other um, very wealthy individuals have come together to start paying off the fines. I think that's fantastic. I am not wearing a hat at the moment, but if I were, I would be tipping it because that's just great. So I'll plug that. Um, it's a great plug. Um, it's a great plug. And I... Um, I will give a plug for two things, actually. Um... One is you're going to hear this episode. Uh, it's going to be released, like I think, on Sunday, um, hopefully early. And, um, you know, this may be your your fill for the week. But um, I've as I've referenced a couple of times throughout this podcast, uh, the fundraiser pod that I've been recording calls for in which uh, people uh, made a donation to Higher Heights for America and then called in. And I got a chance to talk to them. I've talked to. Uh, seven people so far. And I have to say, this is shaping up to be one of my favorite podcasts ever. These conversations have been outstanding. Um, I honestly did not know what to expect. And I've been absolutely pleasantly surprised about how enjoyable they have been. And people are offering like just really good insights. And it's a reminder that like, 
I'm not anything special. I just happened to be the guy who was like, hey, I want to start talking about and writing about the Knicks. And yep. I actually did it. And and a lot of other people would be good at it, too, if they if they just took the time. But, you know, I'm the I'm the insane one. Um, so listen to that podcast when it comes out. It'll probably be out like Monday or Tuesday. Um, and two, if by some chance you don't um, listen to that podcast, um, I want to give a plug for uh, another um uh, something that if you want to contribute to something that is for a great cause, uh, the National Bail Fund Network has been doing uh, really wonderful work over the last several months and, and obviously for longer than that. Um, but uh, one of my guests, uh, David Crockett, plugged it. And I just want to plug it in case you don't get to that episode um, to if you're looking to make a charitable contribution in the months ahead and um you know, I, I think you could do worse than just just Google the National Bail Fund Network, um, look at what they do and, um, you know, maybe consider uh, donating to uh, to that. It's all I got, Jeremy. It's all I got. Cool. Yeah. And I just want to vouch National Bail Fund is something I also love. So, yes, agreed. Seconded. The, t- the two social justice warriors, two, two, two of us white guys who just, we just, we got to do something. We're two, we're just two white guys. Wait, yeah. Know? I think that should be our new pod name. Just two, two, white, guys. <laughs> just two white guys. <laughs> Listen, we've been, we, we are incredibly privileged to be able to do what we do and yes, do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have to make a little, few sacrifices to do this, but you know, this is easy for us to do. And um, it's, it's great that the two of us get to come on here and fucking bullshit for an hour about the Knicks hiring a coach. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who wish they could do that. So, you know, if you're, if you're still listening at this point in the podcast, I don't know, <laughs> maybe consider doing something nice for, for somebody who is, who's maybe less fortunate. Um, all right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks film school podcast. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I just want to say real quickly, thank you for listening on bo- behalf of both me and Jeremy we don't take it for granted that anybody listens to our nonsensical musings. So thank you for doing so and, and giving us the platform because we wouldn't have a platform if nobody wanted to listen to us. So thanks for tuning into this episode. Um, check out the fundraiser call-in episode. We're going to do a mailbag later in the week. And um, yeah, more, more good stuff on the way. So uh, thank you and have a great week. Right now, 12 great minutes.